Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Extra Time with Liam Horbin, presented by Betway. Episode 8, I think. Maybe 9, I'm not sure. But today, you're not going to be hearing much of me in this intro because I want to get right into the conversation I had with Ben Steiner. Ben is a writer for MLS, CBC, and Alpine, and a bunch of other people. Like This guy is just covering everything you want. He's a great follow on Twitter. He'll drop his handle at the end of the show. But go give him a shout. Go watch his stuff. Go listen to his stuff. Go read his stuff. He's got it all. Today, we spoke about Canada men's soccer after two games against Curacao and Honduras. We also dove into the women's soccer a little bit too towards the end of the conversation, just about the World Cup that's coming up for them. And it was great. It was great to talk to someone about the Canadian men's team and the success they've had despite a disappointing World Cup, a positive World Cup, whichever way you want to look at it. They were at the World Cup, so that's a win in my eyes. But we spoke about the two games that they played against Curacao Honduras and a lot of the players individually and how how this team has kind of kind of molded itself over the last year or two, I guess you could say. And yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun to talk to Ben. So let's dive into that one right now. Here is the conversation with Ben Steiner. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're joined by Ben Steiner from, I was looking at your Twitter bio, Ben. It looks like you're from everywhere, but today I think we're going to have Ben Steiner, the MLS man. Is that right? So let's, uh, we're going to talk about some Canada soccer and how's the day? How's the day going? going pretty well i mean busy time for canada soccer heritage heritage committee meeting coming up later today certainly uh, another chapter in what has been a long-winded canada soccer story over the last little while uh but doing well and uh, especially excited to be chatting canada soccer really anytime yeah i mean that stuff has just been something that's happening for a bit now isn't it so hopefully that can get figured out but yeah the canada soccer it's been a it's been a good couple of days for them this past week, coming back from the World Cup. Like starting Curacao, I mean, it definitely wasn't the prettiest game in the world to say the least. But Canada comes out with a two 0 win. What were your What were your overall thought, thoughts on that performance from Canada? Well, they rolled out really their top lineup that they had available to them at the time. Uh, of course, they were missing players like Alistair Johnson to yellow card accumulation suspension. Uh, John Herman wasn't on the touchline for what happened after the game against Honduras, and that. Uh, June window where it was just filled with puddles and it was sold out stadium in San Pedro Sula, but a disgusting game to watch, a disgusting game to play, a frustrating game for the Canadian men's national team. When they go to Curacao, they get the job done, right? They qualify for the Gold Cup. That's important. You don't want to be missing out on that by any means. And I mean, the odds for Canada to miss out on that were quite slim, but still good to tick that box, get the job done. You want to qualify for tournaments. Uh, as they have now for the Nations League final, as well as well as the Gold Cup. So a big summer coming up for the Canadian yeah. men's national team, women's national team as well. I'm sure we'll get to that. But that game, an interesting one for Canada. I think we saw that Ishmael Kone really shined once again. We saw that in the Honduras game as well. Uh, and we continued to see Kyle Aaron have success that he's had with club. He brought that to the national team, especially this camp. He scored two goals against Honduras, one against Curacao. And he's scored eight goals in the last 10 games he's played between mm-hmm. club and country. He's the most informed striker in the world right now. He's the most informed striker in Europe. And to say that a Canadian is in that position in a top five league is absolutely exceptional. I don't know whether you can have a ton of takeaways necessarily from that Curacao game. It was played on AstroTurf that looks like it's been played on a community park for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and small stadium, you can't really tell from the camera angle how, how well it is. But it did look like Canada was doing well and getting back into their rhythm. The first 20 minutes was rough, but then Canada gets on, gets on the score sheet. The three-man midfield, I like it. The three-man back line, I like it. A few worries about two left feet on the back line, but new tactics trying to work for Canada, and it seems like they're starting to work as well. John Herdman has made it important to still win games. It's not about developing new talent. It's not deve- about developing younger players on the team at this moment. Those things are great. Those things are important. But right now, it's still about winning games. And I think that's an important mentality to instill in the team as well, because you don't want to be going in saying, okay, Victor Latoury, go run around for 20 minutes, and maybe you're not going to win the game. Quality player, deserving of a call-up, but maybe you're not going to win the game against a Curacao, against a Honduras. Remember, Curacao and Honduras have players from top five leagues. They have players from competitive leagues. And so you need to be sending your best players out and instilling that winning mentality. And that's what Canada did against Curacao, got the job done, ticked the box, what they needed to do. And then uh, of course they did that against Honduras as well. 
Yeah, it's it's true what you say about these uh, CONCACAF teams that Canada had to play. When you look at it right off the bat, you think, oh, well, Honduras and Curacao, like they should be able to do whatever they got to do against them. But when you actually look at the squads, there is a lot of talent in there. And it's true what you say about the pitch too. Like CONCACAF fields, they're not just going playing in these massive NFL stadiums, wherever it is, right? They are literally going to parks in some cases. But I wanted to talk to you about the the partnership of Kyle Lyron and, and Jonathan David, like those two, every time they're on the pitch together, they seem to do something crazy. And now they're obviously the top two, top two men up front. What did you kind of see from the two of them watching these two matches? I think what was interesting in these two matches was the fact that they can play off each other so well. Mm-hmm. You saw Jonathan David slide back a little bit more, almost in, into a bit of a false nine and Lyron take up a little bit more of that sort of true number nine striker. And they were able to play off each other. Even when Laren and David were playing perpendicular to each other, they were able to ping passes between each other. They were able to link up with the midfield. I think it comes back to guys like Kone and Ashtakio really pulling the strings in that midfield, the torch completely being passed this window from Atiba Hutchinson, who came off the bench twice, to that midfield, Ishmael Kone, Stefan Ashtakio, allows Ashtakio to sit a little bit deeper, Kone to sit maybe a little bit more advanced just alongside him. But that progression of the ball through that new three-man midfield that Canada has up to the strikers allows them to thrive, allows David to come back, collect the ball, push forward in possession. And that's something that we haven't really seen from Kyle Lahren and Jonathan David through the time with the national team. We've seen them play in formations like a 4-5-1, but to see them go into the 3-5-2 was a little bit more intriguing. We've seen them in a 4-4-2 as well, but it hasn't worked quite as well when they're playing right next to each other. But when you stack them a little bit or make them a little bit, one deeper, one more advanced, they seem to be able to play off each other. And that's what they were able to do to really play through Curacao, play through uh, against uh, Honduras as well. And so while we've seen them thrive for the national team lately by being a singular striker, and we've seen Lucas Cavallini in that position as well, the ability to play off each other is something that's tantalizing for Canadian men's national team fans. Because if you can have two of the best strikers in the world right now, and I have no hesitation saying that, given their form with club and country, if you can have them playing off each other and succeeding, that's a potent attack. Yeah, it's it's true what you say. Like it's not it's not biased by saying they're the two best two of the best strikers in the world at the moment because they truly are. Like what what uh, Lyron's been able to do with his move to Spain is quite remarkable and honestly turn his season around. You mentioned the formation they did a couple of times there and. One player I wanted to touch on in that formation is Alfonso Davies. Now, obviously, he's a left-back for Bayern Munich. For Canada, they needed more of an advanced player. Do you think the formation fits him pretty well, too? Because he basically gets that whole left side to to run up and down and, and do what Alfonso Davies is supposed to do for Canada, right? I think it's an interesting one with Alfonso Davies because over the last little while, he has played that free role for Canada. It's not necessarily been a left back or a left mid drift centrally. He's a creative player. He can drive through those spaces. And again, with Kone, I could go on and on about Ishmael Kone and how he's changed this team. But again, linking up with Kone and Nostakio in the midfield, being able to drive into the spaces, acting as a third, fourth, fifth midfielder, centrally is important to this team. So to have him in that free role is beneficial, but it's been beneficial to him showing his quality. It hasn't necessarily helped the team. What I think we saw this window was he was a little bit more stuck to that left side and was driving in that position. He was able to drift forward, drift back, and he was almost in a free roll on that left side. That's not necessarily something we've seen from Alfonso Davies and this national team before, but that's also because he hasn't had a defined role. And I think 
this window is the first step towards finding a defined role. He's not going to play in the same role every time for Canada. He's too good not to, mm-hmm. right? He can play any role on the field. Put him in net. He'll, he'll <laughs> do fine. Like he, he can play any role on the field. He's that good. Um, and so I think keeping him to that left side as he did this window is important, but not to allow him to take the weight of the national team. He doesn't need to draft in the midfield. You have a good midfield. You have good forwards. He needs to do his job on the left side. And that can be at left back or left midfield or free roll in between there. Because you have Adekubi on the left side as well, who's a quality player in his own right. And so you don't necessarily need that tracking back, that solidity that Alfonso Davies can offer on that left side. You have two quality players that can overlap there and link together well. They've shown that they can link together well. And then you also have a bit more balance now because Alistair Johnston comes back into the Canadian men's national team from a few months at Celtic. The first time he's been after a, a his stint at Celtic. And he's more comfortable going forward. He wasn't necessarily the best at attacking before Celtic, but Celtic has played him a little bit more centrally, a little bit higher up, almost as a holding midfielder on the right side, right-sided holding midfielder. And he comes back into the right-sided centre-back role with Canada, and he's thriving there. He looked like a new player in this camp. I think it was a little bit overshadowed by the fact that Laren's popping in the goals and there's Kone doing what he does in the midfield at, at such a young age. Um, but I think Alistair Johnston was a new player and that helps balance out Canada as well because it doesn't mean that they're always relying on that left side of Alphonse Davies and sometimes Sam Adekubi. Yeah, and I liked what you said there about Adekubi coming in and like he can be on that left side too. And it just kind of shows the depth this Canadian team now actually has. I think there's been some points where it's like, okay, well... Jonathan Davis not here, like who's playing? And it's but like now Atiba Hutchinson's come to the end of his career and Kone can now step into that role and Johnston too. And I think I'd like to address the back line that they had. Like there was no Kamal Miller this time around, but the three of them that played there, Kennedy, Cornelius, and uh, Victoria were all very, very good for this team. Like, do you think that's kind of true about this team now where there is there is layers outside of the starting eleven? I think you can look two, three positions deep on this team at most points. I mean, the question is, what opponent are you beating with, say, your third Canadian team? And you're probably similar to what Canada was four or five years ago. Um, But they're competitive. There's players pushing for spots. Like Alfonso Davies isn't even yet pushed out of the lineup, but that doesn't mean there's not more quality players on the left side that can't do a job in CONCACAF, right? It's not the most testing region. You don't need the best players in the world to succeed you need it to win but you don't need it to succeed in CONCACAF um and so Canada's deep I mean you can go from the back out at goalkeeping position you have three four five six capable goalkeepers Tom McGill gets called up for this camp the Brighton U23 keeper he's been playing in the English Premier League two at a youth level mm-hmm. and maybe he breaks through at Brighton maybe he goes on loan to the championship and if Canada has another goalkeeper starting in the championship well that would be exceptional you have James Pantamis, who's fully usable. Thomas Asal, fully usable when you're looking at depth options. Of course, Dane St. Clair, Maxime Crepo, right there as backup options. Crepo, when he's healthy again, Borean, he's still around, still kicking in the sweatpants. Um, I think that transition does have to start happening. And I don't necessarily think that that's wavering away from the winning mentality. I think Dane St. Clair and Maxime Crepo are good enough to still win you games. Uh, and St. Clair and well, Sinclair hasn't shown that, Crapo has. So I think that battle for the starting role will be interesting. But you can go throughout the lineup and 
there's depth in this Canadian team. Like, Io Akinola got a few minutes. And, I mean, should he have gotten a call-up given his recent form? Probably not. Um, but Lucas Cavallini wasn't an option. Um, and, and there's still depth in the attack role. There's depth at the center-back position. Kyle Hebert makes his debut. There's depth in the midfield. Victor Latoury was on the roster. Hey, I'm, I'm forgetting about Dominic Zator, another center-back option. Like, you can go on and on about the depth of the national team at this point. And sure, the level might drop a little bit, but there's young players coming up. There's competitive players coming up. Uh, and there's competition for spots in the national team. And that's important given the amount of training sessions, the amount of available time this team has together, uh, and the amount of time that they're really able to track these players. You have a competitive group that is striving to not only have success against other teams, but have success against themselves too. Yeah, and CONCACAF, you're right. It's not the strongest region in the world, which kind of does give you the flexibility to mold players a little bit more in competitive matches. You've mentioned him in every single question, so I'm just going to ask you a direct question about Ismail Kone because I can tell you really want to talk about him. What is what is the biggest thing about him that you think allows him to thrive so much and, and become such a key part of this team? Like, he's gone to Watford. He's not he's not playing every week, but it's still a massive move for him. So, yeah, what what do you think it is about him that makes him so special? He's patient. There's a lot of Canadian players that come through and they're not patient. I mean, you look back a year ago and Ishmael Kone hadn't played a professional game. Mm -hmm. He was just starting for CF Montreal. And then he steps into that lineup and he's already patient. There weren't many nerves getting his professional debut, getting his Canadian debut, getting heck his World Cup debut. He didn't have many nerves. And John Herdman, Atiba Hutchinson, they both mentioned that he's a mature head on young shoulders. And it's good his shoulders are young because there's not many like, mm -hmm. that young in the Canadian midfield. Um, he's when you watch him play and you watch him get the ball, there's a calmness to the way that he carries the ball. And whether that's driving into a space, a hole in midfield, as you can see, one soccer did lo-fi chill beats every Ishmael Kone touch uh, against Honduras. But when you watch that and enjoy the lo-fi beats, um, shout out to Armin Bedakin on that one. That was exceptional. Um, but when you watch that, the ability to drive into space, it was something that first impressed me with Pedro Morales and the white caps of all people. Um, but the ability to take the ball, drive into space, stay calm, and then ping a pass perfectly to an outlet or pass backwards and allow Estacchio to put it up. There's so many different ways that he just calms the game down when, he, when he's on the ball that change the the pace of the game, the rhythm of the game for Canada. And so whether that's advancing the ball through pockets, whether that's picking up pinpoint passes or getting himself even in position to receive those passes. And when he gets a pass, he's always in space. He always has his option. And that's something you don't see from a lot of players, especially Canadian players over the years. You don't see that creativity. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's fair to say he's more than likely the replacement for Atiba Hutchinson, who obviously became the most capped player at the World Cup for Canada. So what is... What do you think that transition's been like for the two of them? Like Hutchinson, I think he said in his post game, like his games are pretty much numbered. Like he knows he's coming to the end of his career. So I guess, firstly, like how is that relationship? I suppose when the two of them play together, it seems like they're kind of like for like in a way, and they work out well. And secondly, like what has Hutchinson meant to this Canadian men's national team? I mean, starting off with that second part, Atiba Hutchinson's been everything to the national team they've he's been with the program since the team was ranked 122nd like behind niger like he's been critical to this national team and he's been committed as well and i think that commitment is something that we're seeing in, in young players as well we're seeing 
Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David not want to miss a Canadian camp. And Canada is a competitive team now. They're one of the stronger teams in FIFA at this point. That wasn't the case for a lot of Hutchinson's career. You look at some of those starting lineups. Heck, you look at the last time Canada beat Honduras on home soil. It was 2015, November 13th in Vancouver. Kyle Aaron scored that game, but he left the match for Marcus Haber. And Marcus Haber couldn't cut it in the CPL, right? So the Canadian national team has come so far. And Atiba Hutchinson has been there for every little moment of it. And so for him to be able to get a World Cup under his belt, and for him to potentially lift a Nations League trophy, is magical for him, a magical way to end his, his career. And so he's critical. In terms of that relationship between him and Kone, I think he's also pretty important in sort of mentoring Kone into that role, into being a star on the national team, being a star in a crazed world football environment at Watford, whether that includes a move to Udinese in the summer as well. There's there's rumors there uh, of Ishmael Kone moving on that as a move to the Premier League, promotion for Watford. Um, there's so many places that Ishmael Kone is going to go. His ceiling is sky high, right? So he can mm-hmm. go to the top of the game. He's so young still and already playing at a high level and playing regularly for, for Watford, not starting every night, every match, but he's playing regularly. Um, and so that guidance that Hutchinson is able to offer, not only to Kone, but the young players, is allowing them to sort of carry that torch, in a sense, that Hutchinson has seen with the national team. It's the stuff that Hutchinson saw with Marcel de Jong, Adam Strait. He saw 8-1. He saw everything that came through the national team over the last 15 years, right? And he's giving that guidance to these younger players. And while I think these younger players would strive anyways, because they're just very good, talented footballers, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, Hutchinson's guidance, especially through this form- these formative few years, has been really important. And to see him potentially go out with a trophy would be exceptional. Yeah, it'd be a special way for it all to go go down from like you said, all those games out of the eight one defeat to like he's he has gone through it all. I don't think there's many players in the world on an international stage that have kind of had the career that Atiba Hutchinson has had, which makes him just a special player. We've obviously addressed a lot, but I just want to key in quickly on Canada's four one win over Honduras. Was there anything you saw that was different from the game against Curacao to the game against Honduras? It, it felt like they almost played a lot more freely and just attack, attack, attack almost against Honduras. I think at this point in CONCACAF, Curacao might be the stronger team than Honduras. Honduras is a retooling team as much as you can retool and rebuild in international soccer, but both of them had managerial changes. Honduras seems like they're still adjusting to it. They were missing one of their key players due to visa issues as well. Um, But when you've looked at Honduras in the past and you compared that to the Honduras performance that we saw on Tuesday night, Canada was able to pick them apart a lot easier. Honduras was leaving more holes open and Canada was able to have those players that can thread passes through to execute in those opportunities. Um, So it's Honduras trying to adjust to what might be a little bit more of a free-flowing style, which could suit players like Romel Kyoto. You see him just hanging on the touchline the whole game, waiting for that counterattack, waiting to break open the Canadian team or whatever opponent. And so I think you're seeing a Honduras that is in a bit of a transitionary period in CONCACAF. And I think the disappointment for them not to qualify for the Nations League Final Four, but they'll be a competitive team at the Gold Cup. And they're a solid team as well. And I think with Canada, USA, and Mexico getting those automatic berths to the World Cup in 2026, it should be incumbent on Honduras to qualify as well out of CONCACAF. They're one of the better teams that is still in qualifying. 
And there's, of course, more spots for CONCACAF as well with the 48-team tournament. Mm-hmm. When you look at Curacao, they're getting better every window because they get more of these dual internationals between the Netherlands and Curacao, right? So they have top-tier players from the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. So you, you get these quality players coming into the Curacao national team. And sure, they might be a bit older, but they're finally getting some young talent. When Curacao first came onto the scene, it was an aging, aging team. But now a little bit younger, a little bit more settled into who they are as a footballing nation under the new FIFA rules. Um, and I think they're one of the stronger teams in CONCAF. I think it might even not be so far to say it's incumbent on them to qualify for the World Cup in, in 2026 because they're a quality team and one that can push uh, Canada, USA, and possibly Mexico, depending on the day, depending on what Mexico shows up. Uh, so post game, Kyle Lyon had a quote, which I think some people liked on Twitter, some people didn't like, but he called Canada the big dogs of CONCACAF or the big boys. I can't remember the direct quote when he was asked what it would be like to go and play against the big boys. And he said, no, we're the big boys. Is that fair to say? Do you think, do you think Canada are the big boys of CONCACAF right now? I think it's completely fair to say. I think there's been a lot of Twitter discourse about where the Canamente is at. I know a lot of American fans still sort of think of Canada, especially younger American fans, think of Canada as that team that was ranked 122nd in the world. Mm-hmm. That Atipa Hutchinson was still on, but a lot less quality players and were getting pummeled by the likes of Martinique, the 8-1. You can go on about the the sad times of Canada soccer over the last 20, 25, I mean, heck, 150 years of the game yeah. in this country. But it's never been at a brighter spot on the pitch in terms of talent. I mean, brighter spots off the pitch. We can get into that as well. But Canada is part of the big dogs. They top World Cup qualifying. That's not easy to do. Um, they have the most players playing in like super competitive leagues, and not by sheer number, but the most starters. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the fact that Canada is doing what they're doing with a population of 37 million. Uh, comparative to Mexico, compared to the U.S., is exceptional. And I think that they're part of the big dogs of CONCACAF. I have no hesitation saying that I think that Canada can win and will win the Nations League this summer. And like I'll go on record saying that um, because U.S. and Mexico, that's going to be a bloodbath in the semifinal of the Nations League. Canada-Panama, Canada, again, should win that game. They are the better team. And so, and I think Canada is probably the best team in CONCACAF right now, given the players that they have, given the form that they've been in this season. I think Canada should win Nations League. I think they're no doubt the big dogs of CONCACAF, but like maybe the best of the big dogs in CONCACAF. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I've kind of had these discussions with people too, like the way Mexico and, and the UFC, USA, sorry, not the UFC, have kind of fallen off their pedestal a little bit. I think it's just, a credit to how Canada has just risen so much. And you could even put it towards the laziness of those two countries a little bit too, of not developing players because they think they're a little bit ahead of everybody else. But Canada, obviously going to the Copa America as well, which is going to be, I think, just a fantastic, fantastic thing for this country to go and play against the Brazil, Argentina, whoever else they go up against. What are your expectations for that? Because obviously it's going to be very difficult for Canada to go and win, but we've mentioned it a bunch. They definitely have ability to to do something. Are you expecting, I think, a more experienced Canadian team now after this World Cup, right? I think they should be okay in this tournament. They haven't qualified yet. There's still that asterisk there that Count Kakikaf will be going to the Copa America, but they're not quite qualified. They should qualify. They should, yeah. But they haven't quite. Um, if they're going to be the big dogs, they 
but you do have to qualify. But I mean, there's still that Canadian soccer hesitation where it's like, well, Suriname, Honduras, El Salvador, like these teams are, are testing. But the Canada, in all, all realism, Canada should qualify for this tournament. I will go back and say the U.S. is developing players at a exceptional rate. You have guys like Gio Reyna who are exceptional given, I mean, forget the circumstances around him, but absolutely exceptional players. You have Christian Pulisic who's playing at the top level. You have Zach Steffen. You have Matt Turner. You, you have quality players around that team. Um, so the U.S. is on a very similar rise to Canada. And I would actually say, right now they're probably the best team in CONCACAF, Canada mm-hmm. second, Mexico third. Um, but in terms of how Canada could do at the Copa America, I mean, it kind of depends on the night. Like, can they give a game to Argentina? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Curacao lost 7 nothing in a friendly to them, and Canada didn't play Curacao off the pitch by any means. So you're not going to win the Copa America. I think that's that's way too high of a goal. You have to be as good to win the World Cup as you do to win the Copa America. But can you give a solid challenge to a team like Chile? For sure. Can you give a solid challenge to a team like Uruguay? Well, we saw Canada did it before the 2022 World Cup. For sure they can give a challenge to that. I mean, but to see them get tested against the best of the best, to see them go up against a Brazil, an Argentina, those are critical games that the team has to be playing as well. Even if you're losing those games, if you can stay competitive against the best of the best, that is extremely beneficial to this team. And to play those big games, to get that experience heading into 2026, where you want to make a run towards winning the World Cup, you're not going to win the World Cup. Ken is not winning the World Cup in 2026. Like I'm high on Canadian soccer, but like, no. Um, but you want to be able to make a decent run, especially with such a large tournament, 14 groups, but you do want to win a couple knockout games probably. Um, and so they can be competitive at the Copa America, maybe semifinals at best. Um, but even just playing the group stage games will be incredibly important to the Canadian team and getting out of the group as well, winning some games at that level and in those atmospheres, uh, against those teams will be critical for, for Canada, um, as well as getting into big games against the likes of Argentina and Brazil. Yeah, I feel like this Canadian team is after what happened at the World Cup. People, it's hard to really judge what it was. Like, I feel like I'm happy with what Canada did. Obviously, you want to come out with a point or something there, but the experience is something they played very well. And when two of the teams in your group go to the semifinal of the World Cup, it's a lot nicer to look back and think, it's okay, maybe it was a little bit more difficult. But I feel like these next few tournaments for Canada are going to be almost statements for them to be like, no, we we are a good nation and we can compete against these top teams. And I just wanted to quickly ask you about the World Cup in 2026. Obviously there's more teams now going to the going to the World Cup. Like what do you kind of think of that whole their idea of going to a, a more expansive World Cup and including more teams? I might be in the minority on this one, but I do actually like including more teams. I think it just creates more buzz around the tournament. And I mean that's exactly what people mm. wants to do is more buzz means more money. But I think it's exciting to have more of the world like connected to this tournament. It's about a third of the world that's going to be like in this tournament, connected to this tournament for like a, a lot of the game, uh, a lot, a lot of this tournament, and they're going to have their own nations to cheer on. I think we saw it in Canada where you had people who would cheer for England because their grandparents came from England, and then this year it was like, oh, Canada's the tournament. I can cheer for Canada. And you're going to get that across the world now with 48 teams. I think it's ex- exciting. I hope it's competitive. Um, I think there can be the worry of the likes of sort of USA Thailand at the Women's World Cup. 
um, yeah. when it's just completely blown out of the water. And I think that's potentially a concern for this Women's World Cup as well coming up this summer, where you have the 32-team tournament. And are there 32 competitive nations? The women's game is rising, but I don't know whether the top teams and Team 32 are necessarily at equal levels uh, or even competitive levels. And I think that's something that you will see in the Men's World Cup because you can, the 48th team is not going to be the quality of the 10th team. Um, and they're not going to be the quality of the 32nd team that would have qualified regularly either. So it's exciting that a lot of teams are in it. I think it's going to be cool to follow. It's going to be cool to watch. There's a lot of games. It's in a very cool location with Canada, US, and Mexico. Um, but there could be some blowouts. I think I'm with you. Like I, the World Cup didn't start with 32 teams, right? Like it eventually all had to grow and get to where it is today. And I think the conversation around it is because of how good this last World Cup was. It's like, oh, well, why would you want to change it? And it's like, well, football's getting a little bit better. There's more, there's more players around the world. Like Norway never make the World Cup. And I'm sure a lot of people would want to see Holland at a World Cup, right? So exactly, it's, yeah. yeah, like there's so much talent around the world now and so many teams have it. I, I do like it. Like the European Championships expanded a little bit more. And I think it's a I think it's a perfectly fine tournament with good competition. So it'll be interesting. But you mentioned the women's there too. Obviously, the World Cup is coming up and Canadian women's soccer is been going through a lot on and off the pitch can you just kind of give an idea of of where that's all at at the moment and also maybe what the expectations are for the world cup for the women well the expectations for the world cup for the women i think really changed over the last little while because you have so much of the off-field situation going on with the labor dispute which also involves the men the men are equally as involved in this as yep. the women um but you had janine becky get injured in preseason with the portland thorns in the nwsl and she's going to miss the World Cup, a season-ending ACL injury. So that's a critical player for Canada that's now out of the picture. And there's not necessarily a lot of depth that can step in at Janine Becky's position. Bev Priestman has said that the winger depth is simply not fantastic for Canada, especially when you look at, like, Deanne Rose is injured as well. Like, Nichelle Prince can play out wide, and, and she's injured as well. Like, you can put push Ashley Lawrence up. But at that point, what are you giving away on the back line type thing? So the depth isn't necessarily there. And I think that's a greater issue with Canada, not having a league players starting to take other nationalities as well, losing out on dual nationals. Um, but the off field situation as well is um, we saw a complete distraction for the national team. We saw that at the She Believes Cup where Canada didn't quite have the performance that they were hoping, maybe a unifying performance against the US their first time wearing purple uh, and going against an American team that went through a similar fight with the U.S. Soccer Federation in terms of equal pay and, and CBA. Um, but Canada didn't quite have the tournament that they wanted to at that. Um, and they only have one game in a two-match April window as well. They're only playing France. And that's going to be a testing game. But that's a French team going through a lot of uh, turmoil itself. Wendy Renard, one of their top players, uh, resigning from the national team, retiring from the national team. Uh, they're going through a managerial change as well. They're at odds with their federation as well, going through a similar fight. But Canada soccer and the women's national team players, well, the women's national team players in particular, have never been more unified as a group um, because they're they're making this fight against the federation, trying to get more money, get pay equity in terms of men and women, but also just create a better atmosphere for the Canadian soccer player, man, woman, whatever gender, just create a better atmosphere and a better environment to grow up in the game because mm -hmm. the 
I don't want to get too much into the weeds in terms of the Canada soccer, Canada soccer business deal. Effectively, for those who haven't heard of it, it's Canada soccer signed away all of its media and marketing rights to a separate company called Canadian soccer business. And they get a four to $5 million stipend, one payment every year. And that's it. So all these sponsorships you're seeing, Carlsberg, Gatorade, you can go on about all these sponsorships that Canada Soccer is getting. That money is going to CSB, which then helps fund the Canadian Premier League, um, which is also critical. There should be women's league. You can mm-hmm. go on. But having that deal amended in some way and adjusted, having a little bit more money funneled towards the national programs all the way down to grassroots soccer in this country is critical because you need that those environments for the Canadian players growing up. You need those environments for the top Canadian players to succeed as well. And that's something that we saw with the men's national team last year. We saw them taking charters and private jets. We saw them with exceptional accommodation wherever they went. And we're not seeing that with the women. The women are still flying on economy for a lot of their, a lot of their flights. So that needs to be equitable. The men and women at the top level need to be equitable. But Canada soccer just across the board needs more funding, more money to just run the programs, the youth programs, the national programs, the grassroots programs at the level that they need to be to continue Canada soccer's rise and not just rely on sheer talent and finding diamonds in the rough like an Alfonso Davies, like an Ishmael Kone. Yeah, it's, there's a lot to digest of it, to be honest. Like I've tried to read yeah. as much as I can and get into it, but that was a, a good explanation of it. And it's just... It's a very interesting situation because there's not many countries around the world where the women's team is the more dominant team. And the one people can probably up until maybe this last 12, 18 months, like recognize their players a little bit more. Right. So on the field, let's just, uh, we'll kind of end on this. Like, is there somebody in the Canadian women's team that you think now is maybe this next generation uh, uh, that's going to take over the Christine Sinclair kind of thing? If anybody can take over Christine Sinclair, I know she's pretty much irreplaceable. (laughs) I mean, all-time leader in international goals. She's Mm -hmm. been exceptional for Canada. Like, There's not really anybody who can replace her in terms of maybe recognition. Um, But in terms of importance to the national team, I think it's on Julia Grosso uh, and the success that she's had with Juventus in Italy. She's bound for a big move at some point. There were links that she might have gone to Manchester City uh, in the WSL. But... I think she's critical to this team. She's a little bit less attacking. She's not going to put up the numbers like Christine Sinclair did. But in terms of a attacking midfield linchpin, Julia Grasso is absolutely critical to the Canadian team moving forward. And I think she's she can be a, a face of the national team as well. I mean, she scored the gold medal winning penalty kick at the mm-hmm. at the Olympics, right? So she's already got that recognition at such, such a young age, at such a young point in her career that she's kind of the the next bright shining light for the Canadian team. Um, and then there's also incredibly important players like Quinn and they've been exceptional in their role with the the Canadian team. Um, you look at Ashley Lawrence and the level that she's reached. Um, you can go kind of across the board, but in terms of a player that can sort of take that spotlight of Christine Sinclair as maybe the, the next captain of the national team per se, um, I do think that Julia Grasso is sort of the the top player of that next generation of players. I'm really excited for the Women's World Cup, especially after the the men's and how exciting that was. And now this one will actually be in the summer, which is exciting too. So Ben, where, where can people find your work? And do you have anything coming up soon that you would like to tell people about? Uh, you can find my work uh, across CBC Sports, across Alpine Canada, 
MLS now for Canada soccer stuff, uh, a whole bunch of different places for that. But uh, if you want to follow all my work, uh, Twitter is a good place to do that as long as that's around at Ben Steiner 00 on Twitter. For now, I'm verified a couple days, won't be anymore, but uh, I'll, I'll be on Twitter still uh, at Ben Steiner 00. So you can find pretty much all my work there. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. This was a uh, very informative. I think for people who maybe even didn't watch the games, got a really good idea of of what happened over Canada's across Canada's two games, and obviously what's going to happen this summer for Canadian soccer. So, thank you very much for jumping on with me. No problem, and it's a big Canadian soccer summer coming up: World Cup, Gold Cup, mm-hmm. uh, and Nations League. So, have fun. Try and get out to some games. I know that Nations League is in Las Vegas as well. So, what a destination that is! But thanks so much for having me on.